Hello, everybody, and welcome into the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. And the show has a Twitter page for breaking news and other updates. And that is at JTime Sports, all caps. I repeat, at JTime Sports, all caps. In this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NBA and WNBA finals. We'll discuss the NFL, what's going down with the Shield. We'll have our Jacks Pack, which is our betting segment, which has been doing pretty well so far. And we'll have a discussion about the MLB playoffs. Also, we'll have our best for last, which will be a recap of the Bucks and the Broncos game on Thursday Night Football. Now sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, everybody, and welcome in. We have a jam-packed show today. We're going to cover multiple sports leagues, and we're going to cover a lot of interesting and important topics, especially when it comes to playoffs and finals. Speaking of finals, we're going to start off with the NBA and the WNBA. Now we're going to lead with the WNBA today because their finals has concluded with the Seattle Storm in a commanding sweep of Asia Wilson and the Las Vegas Aces. Now the Seattle Storm have their fourth championship in franchise history, their second in three years. Now last year was a down year for them. They had injuries to their star players in Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart. And with injuries to your best two players, you've got very limited opportunity to win a championship. Your odds are very, very low. But they came back this year with a vengeance. Both Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart set records during this finals. They dominated, commanded the game on both ends, and ultimately led to a very commanding sweep, finishing off the WNBA season in style 3-0 by winning 92-59. Brianna Stewart was your unanimous WNBA Finals MVP. She set several records, like I mentioned about earlier, and she began to stack on her already impressive resume. Just speaking on Brianna Stewart's resume, she's got four national championships. She got four most outstanding players of the NCAA tournament. She's got three unanimous college players of the year. She has two WNBA championships with two WNBA finals MVPs, and she's been an MVP of the league. I mean, she has a very impressive resume and is beginning a conversation already to be in the GOAT case. Similar to what Patrick Mahomes is going through in the NFL. When you win so much early, you win so much championships and personal accolades early, you begin to creep into the GOAT conversation. And I don't mean that, you know, she's up there with the Cynthia Coopers and the Cheryl Swoops and the Candace Parkers and the Maya Moores of the world and the Sylvia Fowles of the world. But she's beginning to have a definite case and she's cementing herself as a strong possibility when it comes to being a GOAT in the WNBA. Ultimately, later in her career, Diana Taurasi, I failed to mention her earlier while listing GOATs. But her teammate, Sue Bird, I mean, 40 years old, winning another WNBA championship, her fourth. She's been on the Seattle Storm for all four of their championships. She becomes the first WNBA player to win a championship in three different decades. Because with the Seattle Storm franchise, she has won in the 2000s, the 2010s, and obviously the 2020 WNBA championship. Now, Sue Bird herself has a GOAT case, mostly predicated on winning. She has four WNBA titles, 
I don't think she has a WNBA Finals MVP to her resume. I could be wrong about that. I could be wrong about that. But she has four WNBA titles. She has several WNBA Finals records. She has several WNBA playoff records and longevity just in general. I mean, I, she's been playing professional basketball for 18 years now. Like I said, she's coming up on age 40 if she's not 40 already. And it was a very impressive showing by her. LeBron James gave her a shout out saying that, man, we can still do it in year 17. So I guess she's in her 17th year. My apologies. But we can still do it in year 17 because LeBron himself is setting records and doing he's got to do in the NBA finals. And Sue Bird is out there setting records. I mean, in game one, she dropped 16 assists, which ties a WNBA finals game record. And her 10 assists in the first half breaks a WNBA finals record, or should I say set a finals record. And so that was very impressive by her. Now, this does not take away from what the Las Vegas Aces accomplished this season under head coach Bill Lambeer, who's a Pistons Hall of Famer of bad boy Piston fame. MVP, Aja Wilson, and WNBA star, Angel McCautry. This does not take away from them at all because they went into the season shorthanded. That mean you went to the WNBA Finals without your starting center who opted out due to COVID concerns. And so you make it to the finals, Asia Wilson's MVP. You've got a very bright future in Vegas next season. COVID will be taken care of and they'll have their star center back. And so they'll have a three-headed monster who just were in the finals and I know have a bad taste in their mouth from losing in the WNBA Finals. Now, speaking on Brianna Stewart, going back to her, she has a, a very, very good case for being the best player in the WNBA. But the matchup I want to see is the Seattle Storm versus the Washington Mystics. Because the last two times we've seen the Seattle Storm healthy, they've won the WNBA championship and Brianna Stewart has hoisted the finals MVP. The last time we've seen the Washington Mystics healthy and whole, they were hoist, hoisting the WNBA championship. And Elena Deladon, who opted out due to Lyme disease and COVID concerns, was hoisting the finals MVP. So maybe Brianna Stewart is the best player in the world in terms of women. But Elena Deladon has a very great case for that. And last time we've seen any of these teams healthy, the last three years, they've walked away holding the championship. And so hopefully we can get both of them back healthy to go out in next year. Hopefully we get the Vegas uh, star center to come back. And that, that way we'll look at three-headed monster. LA Sparks team will hold a comeback, who I said would get to the finals. But they, you know, didn't, unfortunately. But they get their squad back, and we get a very loaded WNBA season next year. I'm curious, though, speaking of the WNBA next year, whether they'll stick to what they did this season. Usually the WNBA plays a hair over 30 games. But 22 games, no conference playoffs. It was truly best of the best. There was no, oh, I play out west. So even though my record's a little better than yours or my team is a little better than the team on east because they play an easier schedule for being in the east they get the advantage of okay well i don't get to play such i don't get to play the sparks three or four times i only get to play the sparks twice so that's a loss that maybe the new york liberty with a young team who i expect to be pretty good next year with sabrina and coming back they don't have the struggles of trying to get through the western conference during the regular season to even get to the playoffs so with a 22 game schedule, there's 12 teams in the league. Obviously you can't play yourself. And so they played everybody twice on conference playoffs. It was perfect. You found out who was truly the best of the best. Now, maybe they can go to a 33 game schedule where you play everyone three times. 
and then do the same things. But the WNBA has a more unique opportunity than the NBA because they can truly make the schedule exactly as even as humanly possible. 22 games is perfect because you get one home, one away versus everybody. 33 games, you would have the situation of maybe New York has to go to Washington twice and then Washington has to go to LA twice, but LA only has to go to Washington once. So that'll be a little tricky getting 33 games, but all in all, the schedules would mostly be the same and you would could do something like a coin flip. You do, Maybe you get a coin flip and you get to, you have to go to Washington, but that means you automatically have to go to LA twice. If you have to go to Washington twice, you only get to go to LA once or something like that. But the WNBA, I think has a good model that even the NBA could still in terms of their regular season scheduling in regards to going into their playoffs. Now, speaking of the NBA playoffs, we are one game away from the Los Angeles Lakers being crowned the NBA champion. Now, I spoke last week about how when I did this podcast, I was expecting to be talking about what the finals ring meant for LeBron James and what it meant for his legacy and thanking the Heat for coming. But it's nice the bubble's over and hopefully we'll get a start date soon on the NBA and so with that, I had a whole off-season situation planned. It was, it was going to be great. I Trust me, we might just save it for next week. But it was going to be amazing. And then Jimmy Butler decided that he was going to have what some consider the greatest NBA Finals game, single game ever. He goes for 40 points, 13 rebounds, and 11 assists, if memory serves me correctly. And the Heat went. But there were two other 40-point triple-doubles in the Finals, LeBron James and Jerry West, but neither one of those guys won. So Jimmy Butler was the first person to have a 40-point triple-double in the NBA Finals and win the game, which is a very impressive mark. So, that being said, the Heat won Game 3. Anthony Davis did not play well. He went for 15-5-3. LeBron James had a down game. He had eight turnovers. And he continued the turnover stretch into Game 4. But the Miami Heat won without Goran Dragic and without Bam Adebayo. Now... Bam Adebayo came back in game four, and so did LeBron and AD's ability to score the basketball. AD still struggled early, so did LeBron. LeBron had like three points and four or five turnovers almost at halftime before he goes on a little spurt in the second quarter to make his first half numbers look decent. But in terms of just the flow of the game, he looked out of it. Anthony Davis looked out of it. It was almost like the Heat didn't grab their heart, but they were getting real close to grabbing it and making it very interesting and turning it into a three-game series in which Laker fans and Laker supporters were going to be a little nervous there because you don't want to have an underdog team hang around, make it interesting, and make it to where, hey, anything can happen here. You do not want anything can happen games in the in the NBA. New. Because the Cleveland Cavaliers are, and LeBron, are first-hand experience makers and first-hand examples. LeBron can tell his guys in the locker room playing for the Lakers now. They believed that they could win that series against the Golden State Warriors down 3-1. I mean, I told anybody that could listen. I didn't have this show at the time, obviously. But I told anybody that could listen, man, Golden State better beat the Cavs in 2016 in Game 5. Because if you go to game seven, you go to game six, LeBron's not losing at his home floor. And if you go to game seven and you tell him you're 48 minutes away from creating the biggest and greatest comeback in NBA Finals history, and the only thing standing in your way is Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, you're not beating him. 
Ultimately, that's what happened. They didn't win in game five. The Cavs decidedly won game six. And we know the rest of the story in game seven. So I think that LeBron knew, man, even more perilous, you know? He's been in a situation where he almost went up 2-0, turned into a 1-1 situation, which he reflected on that before game two with the Dallas Mavs in the 2011 finals. So he has firsthand experience in comebacks and teams that shouldn't be there, like the Mavs or the Heat or the Cavs even, that make it interesting versus the prohibited favorite because they let the underdog hang around. They let the underdog have hope and they let him think, you know, we could beat them. We could definitely beat them given the right opportunities and given the right breaks. And so they put the foot down and to make matters worse for the Miami Heat in instance, they ultimately busted out the Mamba jerseys for game five. Now, I think originally they were going to have the Mamba jerseys for game seven, but they ultimately, knowing it's a closeout game, and this season has been for Mamba. I mean, you hear Frank Vogel after every huddle, after every break, it's one, two, three, Mamba. I mean, everything's for the Black Mamba. They haven't lost in the Mamba jerseys with the snake skin on them, black. They're beautiful. And they have not lost in those jerseys yet. And so they, Lakers are trying to, for lack of a better term, kill an ant with a sledgehammer. They're trying to end this in game five. And honestly, it's not shocking at all because LeBron James, like I said, knows firsthand experience. You do not let the underdog hang around more than he should because if he gets hope, Hope is the last thing that a dominant force needs. And so that'll be interesting to watch. I think the Lakers ended in five. I originally predicted five. You can check my Twitter timeline. I originally predicted Lakers in five right after the Heat won the Eastern Conference Finals. Because again, I gave the Heat a game where the Lakers were going to shoot bad and the Heat were going to shoot great. And they were going to just blow the Lakers off the floor and it's going to be a wake up call and the Lakers are going to win. Will it turn into a Jimmy Butler, LeBron James performance? I mean, he turned into LeBron, like super LeBron, and went crazy with no three-point attempts, which is insane. But that was the game they're going to win. It's over. Um, The Lakers are going to win tomorrow in five. Now, the biggest thing in terms of the NBA Finals is who's going to win Finals MVP between LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, I think that both of those guys should have hardware to their name already this season. I believe that LeBron should have been the regular season MVP, and I definitely believe that Anthony Davis should have been the NBA Defensive Player of the Year. But ultimately, I think that LeBron will walk away with the finals MVP. Anthony Davis had the edge out the two games. Definitely had the edge out the two games. If there was a nine-vote situation, I would say 6 but then he went out in a the game they lost and went for 15, 5, and 3. Now, you can say LeBron didn't have a horrible game and they lost because Anthony Davis did not come through. That shows his value. Yes, but that's not how the word value is used in professional sports, apparently. That would strengthen his case if you look at it that way. But most times they look at you need to produce every single game. And he didn't produce in a pivotal game three and they lost. Now, in game four, he showed back up. He turned into Anthony Davis again, and he even took Jimmy Butler fairly a lot and solo for a good part down the stretch, blocking his shot, playing great defense, showing why he has the defensive versatility to be the defensive player of the year. 
and he did that, and that was huge for the Lakers in Game 4, along with Kentavious Caldwell-Pope knocking down timely shots, and Rajon Rondo being playoff Rondo, only scored two points, but pressing the issue, making great passes, setting up the offense, and his defense has been great through these NBA Finals. But, like I said, I believe LeBron James will walk away with the Finals MVP and become the first player in NBA history to have Finals MVP on three separate franchises, which was a race he and Kawhi were both going for this season. Now, in terms of winning the ring in general, I think it cements his legacy that he is no worse than the second greatest player in NBA history. I personally have him won, especially if he wins his ring, his resume will get boosted, but I personally have him won, but... Worst case scenario with four rings, four finals MVPs, all the stats, all the accolades, he's no lower than two. And so that is something where he can rest on his laurels, which I know he won't, but he can rest on his laurels and say, I am no worse than the second greatest person to ever do this in the history of life. And so that is a strong something to stand on. And that would be a major achievement for him. It'll get the monkey off guys back like Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, who have been very talented big men but never could win. It would get the monkey off their backs. It would be huge for their careers. And now quickly for a little of the rumors. I am seeing that the Knicks have a plan, tentatively, a plan in place for acquiring Chris Paul via trade centered around Kevin Knox and then bringing Carmelo Anthony back to New York as the starting small forward. To have Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett tentatively a draft a, a player, or you trade your pick out to try and secure another player, and the Knicks would, in theory, be back. They'd be a playoff team again. No doubt on my mind, in the East, they look like a five seed with Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Mitchell Robinson. Let's say you get another good score. Tentatively, you're a five seed. And so that would be something to watch for the Knicks. I don't think it's gonna happen. Knicks rumors are like pie in the sky. It, it never actually comes true. But up next, I will be shifting to the NFL and talking about what's going down there. Alrighty guys, and we are back. And now we're gonna talk about what's going down in the NFL and the shield as it is appropriately called and semi-affectionately called. So obviously the biggest news coming out of the NFL is the COVID outbreak throughout the Tennessee Titans. And now we're gonna start off with a couple of teams that had, you know, small COVID situations. So the Oakland Raiders were fined large sums of money individually for several different players for having a maskless fundraiser for a tight end, Darren Waller. Several players were seen without mask, and obviously the NFL came down hard on them, especially in the middle of a Titans outbreak. The New England Patriots have had another positive test, along with quarterback Cam Newton, reigning defensive player of the year. Cornerback Stephon Gilmore has also tested positive for COVID. And now to the Tennessee Titans, they have 22 players and staff that now have outbreaks and that now has COVID. Now, this is an outbreak in percentage rivaling the Miami Marlins outbreak of Major League Baseball that 
many thought threatened to shut down the baseball season because they were passing it to several teams because they weren't showing symptoms yet and weren't popping positive getting on the field pop positive afterward passes to this person etc with the tennessee titans outbreak is up to 22 people now this outbreak has been going on for more than a week now that's when the red flags should go off usually from what i've been reading and from what i understand i'm no scientist by any means and usually COVID's three to five days you should know so if you possibly have a coming contact with someone on a thursday who may have had it they call you say hey i tested positive thursday for coronavirus friday saturday and sunday monday and tuesday are the days you should worry by that wednesday and definitely by that thursday from what i have seen and again i'm not a scientist is that you're good so three to five days you should know if you've tested positive for COVID. you should know if you have it well this outbreak has been going on for over a week i not only did i find that weird the nfl and the nflpa found that weird because they shut down the titans facility everyone's home allegedly self-quarantining not working out together just doing virtual learning basically just like the kids are doing right now in school they're doing film virtually they're doing you know different kind of things they're going over film it's a lot of mental reps no real physical reps so i assume the titans would come out with a simplified game plan and stuff they're comfortable running because they can't implement new stuff because they can't get on the field with each other well the titans outbreak again like i said raised alarm with the nfl league office and the nfl pa now through this alarm they decided to do an investigation on the tennessee titans for allegations that they were doing off-site workouts even while the facility was closed so with the facility closed and nfl says hey go home that is your you can't work out you can't call up 10 of your friends on the team and say man we're gonna go over this stuff anyway no you're at home because they're trying to make sure the season goes off without a hitch and if you have to suffer one game take a loss because you're a little too oversimplified and etc you just have to lose that game it's unfortunate but they're trying to keep the schedule going and trying to avoid things like forfeitures and stuff like that loss of draft picks fines for players and owners that do not follow the mandate coaches as well so the tennessee titans outbreak has raised a ton of speculation about possible workouts eric ebron of the pittsburgh Steelers has been very vocal about how he thinks the titans should have to forfeit their Steelers game and give the steelers their bye week back in week eight because they got moved and shifted around and they shifted the steelers game to try and accommodate the titans who had the first and only so far real outbreak inside the league to force them to play in week eight shift the steals back all this other stuff and ultimately gave the steals a bye week in week three and then they have to ramble off rattle off rather 13 straight games before getting into the playoffs they're not getting the one seed so in order for the pittsburgh steelers to win an nfl championship they would have to play and win in 17 weeks they don't have to win in all 17 weeks but they have to play 17 weeks in a row so basically a full season straight regular season straight with no bye weeks without you know like i said having a bye week to win an nfl championship and a super bowl so rightfully he's right to be upset rightfully a ton of the players in the league have called different reporters and tell them like they're angry with the titans they're blatantly breaking the rules and putting a lot of people in jeopardy now you're starting to hear guys like darius slay of the philadelphia eagles saying man this is too dangerous we shouldn't have even done this 
um we shouldn't have never played this season with COVID being out as it is because it's not a bubble like the nba they can't control the players yes they can say wear your mask inside the building yes they can say you know have plastic guys in the lockers and you shouldn't go out they can tell you what you should and shouldn't do but these are grown adult men with families wives and kids most of them and so you can't control them the way the nba did by putting the players inside the bubble because that was a completely controlled environment the players still had free reign but they were inside the bubble just stay in the bubble and you're fine you can do whatever you want you can go golf you can fish you can play pool with each other no double ping pong but you can do what you have to do inside the bubble well the nfl players are inside of boston massachusetts they're inside of los angeles california they're inside of miami florida where some of these places still have raging COVID cases like lambeau field for instance with the packers just said they weren't going to allow fans in the stadium for the next game because the amount of cases in the area went up and so they decided to not have fans to try and help and mitigate that but going back to the titans this is not great for the league but they're going to try and trudge it through they're scheduled to play tuesday night at six in order to try and get their game in by doing that they push the bills who the titans are playing this week they pushed the bills game with the chiefs out of thursday night and shoved it to sunday like everybody else to give the bills adequate time to prepare that is only if there's no more positive tests so if we wake up tomorrow morning wake up friday morning saturday morning and there's another positive with the titans I assume the Titans would have to forfeit that game, and then the Bills game with the Chiefs comes back to Thursday night as originally planned. But now, just to do a quick recap of last week, it went fairly as expected for the most part. There was no real shockers. Obviously, the Chiefs took advantage of the Cam Newton-less Patriots by weeding them 26 to 10, which all that highlighted was. My God, Bill Belichick is lucky that the rest of the NFL isn't that bright and left Cam Newton to be grabbed for basically nothing. And having him avoiding starting Brian Hoyer and or Jared Stidham at quarterback, because that wasn't great. Not at all. The Indianapolis Colts struggled with a good Bears defense. Nick Foles only could muster 11 points. He was Nick Foles. I mean, he had an amazing couple of games in the playoffs. Other than that, he's a fairly average starter, I guess, if you can say that. He's a decent quarterback, but he's nothing that, you know, you should write home about and build your franchise around. Only seems to have official success when it comes down to being in Philadelphia. Outside of Philadelphia, he seems to be a normal NFL backup. He has his highs, has his lows not as eccentric as Ryan Fitzpatrick, so we don't nearly go, ooh, that's happening with Nick Foles because it just happens. But now with his Super Bowl expectations, people tend to look at him a lot like he should be doing a lot better when he's being Nick Foles. Uh, the drama game of the week was the Rams and Giants because of Golden Tate and Jalen Ramsey. Those guys have an off-the-field history. I won't go into details. You can Google it. Um... But with that off the field history, they got into it during the game and it boiled over after the game. They had they were basically in the middle of a scrum in the middle of the field. And then Jalen Ramsey wanted some more of Golden Tate after the game. He apparently, according to reports, waited outside the locker room 
Uh, they never got into anything more physical, but obviously that is a storyline to keep an eye on if you're into that sort of thing. Now for the big game, what ended up being probably the what in the world game was Cleveland and Dallas. Cleveland storms out to a 41-14 lead. And then Dallas tries to make one of those again, those monster comebacks. Even though Cleveland lost Nick Chubb for a considerable amount of time, Odell Beckham scored three touchdowns. And the Dallas defense is on pace to be the worst defense or one of the worst defenses in NFL history. And you've got guys like Xavier Woods saying you can't expect us to run hard every play, basically admitting to that their effort is the issue while saying their effort's not the issue. It was a very weird statement by Xavier Woods, and I'm sure that he got reprimanded. I'm sure that the coaching staff did not like the comments. Shannon Sharper undisputed that he would have cut him that day. He would, have, he, would have, he would have never got back in the locker room because you can't have that sort of open, just, yep, we don't do this. Just can't expect us to run every play. It's the NFL. What are you, what are you expecting from us? And that's the attitude that seeps through a locker room and really gets inside of a locker room and infests it. Now, in regards to games like the Eagles and the 49ers, Carson Wentz showed us his talent. He was throwing to guys he's never thrown to before. Few of the guys had their first career catches, and they beat the 49ers. I'll have a 49ers, admittedly. But George Kittle went crazy, 15 catches for a buck 83 and a touchdown. But the Eagles still came out on top. Remember my week of first comment last week? The week of first. Remember I said Joe Burrow's going to get his first win versus the Jaguars? He did. 33-25. He got his first win in the NFL versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. And now a preview of week five. We have a couple of interesting games, including the Thursday night game between the Bucks and the Bears. You've got Tom Brady with a ton of lack of weapons. He's down Chris Godwin. He ultimately got lucky, in my opinion, and he got his running back back, Leonard Fournette, although he was doubtful. So I'm not sure how much effort he can give you in a consistent basis, because like I said, he was doubtful. So you don't know what condition he's in in terms of condition. He don't think he's practiced in two weeks. So that'd be interesting to watch, but it's nice to even have him on the field. But look for a lot of Scotty Miller. They're down OJ Howard for the rest of the season with his Achilles injury. So look for a lot of Scotty Miller, especially with Mike Evans hobbled on an ankle. Deshaun Watson with his first game in the post Bill O'Brien era with Romeo Cornell as his head coach because the Texans fired Bill O'Brien as the coach and the GM. Got rid of them both. So glad that happened. He's kind of been ruining that team for a, quite a long time. The coach, he's a good coach. No question about that. He's a good coach. Terrible GM. And unfortunately, you can't fire the GM and then be like, man, kind of want to keep the coach. In a situation where you have to ultimately fire both of them. But yeah, I'm sure he'll land another job as a coordinator somewhere. But uh, this is the first game in the post Bill O'Brien era for the Houston Texans. The Cardinals look to bounce back versus the Jets. They won their first two, and then they lost their next two. And so they have Joe Flacco and the Jets because Sam Donald AC joint was just too painful to play with. He'll probably miss this week and next week and target a return in three weeks. And so the Jets have never won a game in the Sam Donald era without him. And I expect that to continue and for Kyler to have a big day. And for the most interesting game of the week, 
I would have to go with Colts and Browns. Sounds incredibly weird that the Colts and Browns are probably the most interesting game of the week, but both teams are three and one. I'm not sure when the last time that happened, probably 1980s. Both teams are three and one. Both teams have a game similar. They're both defensive-led, run game-led football teams. That would be a very interesting clash of styles. And then the finish off the week with Justin Herbert officially becoming the starter in Los Angeles, even though Coach Lynn fought it for a few weeks, saying that, man, when Tyrod comes back, he's the guy. He told reporters today that it's officially Justin Herbert's job, and it was not a you know temporary thing. It's his job now. Tyrod Taylor's officially the backup when healthy. And so he'll get his first first real start as the trench end starter in New Orleans versus Drew Brees and the Saints. Now, up next, we will shift to Jack's pack and we'll we'll talk about our betting segment. We've been doing pretty well this year. We're going to talk about that next. Alrighty, guys, and we are back with Jack's Pack. Now, this is our segment where we pick five games a week in the NFL, and we just go through and we look at the point spread and we tell you, hey, how to make some quick money, how to make a little money, uh, where you can do that kind of thing, online betting, going to your local sports betting place if you've got similar odds, and how to make a quick buck. So we've done fairly well this season. Like I said, when I first started this, 58% is the goal as a professional gambler. And so far through four weeks, which is 20 games, we're 10, 8, and 2. We've nailed 10 games. We've missed on 8. Two of those have been Kyler Murray. Not blaming him directly, but you know, it happens. And we've tied two games based on odds. You know, the point spread was 7. We picked the over. It was 7. So you just get a tie on that. Looking ahead at this week, I'm going to pick these five games now. So Carolina plus one and a half over Atlanta. I think Carolina wins the game outright. So obviously take Carolina and the points. Arizona, a touchdown favorite over the Jets. I think they win by two or three scores. Like I said earlier, the Cardinals have lost two in a row, including a pretty crushing loss to the Panthers last week. And so with a struggling Jets with a new quarterback, I expect them to roll over the Jets. Even though the Cardinals are a little bit of a mess right now, they're not nearly as a mess as the Adam Gase-led Jets. And so I would go with Arizona minus seven over the Jets. Cleveland plus one over Indiana. Again, I think Cleveland's going to win this game outright. And so, of course, I would go Cleveland plus one there. Houston with Bill O'Brien list, five and a half points over the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think Houston wins the game, but they win it closer than five and a half. So I would take Jacksonville in the point spread, but Houston in the game in general. And then there's Pittsburgh, touchdown favorite over the Philadelphia Eagles. I struggled with this game because part of me really wanted to go Pittsburgh, but something in the back of my mind was saying Carson Wentz may just pull this off. And if he pulls this off, I don't want to be the dope to be like, man, went Pittsburgh there. So I'm going to go with Philadelphia, even though they might. I think they could win that game. I think they, if I had to pick who would win, I would go Philadelphia. But... I know, I'm fairly confident that they will be less than a touchdown from Pittsburgh. So I would go Philadelphia there to lose at worst by less than a touchdown. And that will wrap up our Jacks Pack segment. Up next, we will shift to Major League Baseball for a quick second. Just talk about what's going down in their playoffs. 
Alrighty guys, and we are back to quickly talk about what's going down in the MLB playoffs. Now, the only two teams so far to have advanced to the conference championship series is the Houston Astros who beat the Oakland Athletics 3-1 and the Atlanta Braves who swept the Miami Marlins for their second straight sweep. So they swept the Reds in the first round. Like I said, they sweep the Marlins in the second round. So the Braves were down for so long, going through the farm system, going through the natural way of building a team, not really doing the big free agent thing. And so far, they've been rewarded, definitely been rewarded with a trip to the NLCS. Now, the Astros spoke about it last week. I was like, it'd be very interesting if the Astros were to win the World Series. Does that revalidate the ring that everybody says a big giant asterisk by it? due to what they did with the trash cans and other alleged cheating methods. But so far they're up and they're in the ALCS and they're going to face either the Tampa Bay Rays or the New York Yankees. Tampa Bay has a 2-1 to series lead on the Yankees. Didn't see this coming. I thought the Yankees would be up 2-1 if it was flipped. But the Rays are starting to tee off in terms of the plate. They are starting to really jack some home runs there. The Yankees are going to have to win two in a row to have the right to face the Astros in the ALCS, as opposed to who the Atlanta Braves could play in the NLCS. It looks like the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, the Padres had a great fight last night, but when Cody Bellinger did an amazing robbery of Fernando Tatis Jr., in my opinion, that sealed the game. I know that was a lot of time left in terms of innings, but that sealed the game. It sealed the momentum for the Dodgers. And so I think that ultimately the Dodgers will advance to play the Braves in the NLCS. Quick prediction, I think the Tampa Bay Rays will beat the Yankees. I'm a Yankees fan, so that does not give me any joy to say I think the Rays will beat the Yankees. But I do think that they're just a hotter team right now. They're just playing a little bit better baseball. And so I think that the Rays will advance to play the Astros. Given what I said, Dodgers, Braves, Rays, Astros, I would have the Astros and the Dodgers meeting in the World Series to decide who walks out of the very interesting 2020 baseball season. And I will say my finals prediction for next week or my World Series prediction, I should say, for next week. And we will definitely talk about baseball a lot more next week, given that the World Series will probably either be decided in terms of who's going to be in it are almost decided by that point and this is wrap up the main portion of the show stick around for best for last where we will talk about a recap of the bucks and the broncos game from thursday night Alrighty guys, and we are back. And what an exciting game that was between the Chicago Bears and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Admittedly, going into the game, I probably would have gone Bucks plus three. I believe they were three point favorites anyway. So I probably would have taken those odds and gone Bucks plus three. I would have missed. Once again, Nick Foles versus Tom Brady had a battle. Once again, it came down to the end. And once again, Nick Foles won. He's now played Tom Brady twice. He's beaten him twice. Once in Philly for the Super Bowl, once in Chicago to be the team that goes to 4-1 and one, and the other goes to 3-2. and two. Now, there was a lot of penalties by the Tampa Bay Bucks. At one point, we seen Tom Brady absolutely reaming out his offensive line. 
Because they had a couple of holding calls. Khalil Mack was sacking them left and right. They had a headbutt incident when the offensive lineman Jansen, I believe is his name, thought he got shouldered or kneed in the shoulder rather by a Bears player. It turns out it was friendly fire. So that's going to be something I'm sure Bruce Arians is going to have a field day with in film because that's just something that you can't do. And they had another penalty that wipes out a Khalil Macro from the passer that would have saved the drive. That same drive, they had four or five penalties, it felt like, in the same drive to really disrupt the drive. That's something that Brady obviously is not used to coming from New England. He still has to get used to that. And I, if I can read lips well, part of his reaming was that's not how you win football games. That's how you lose football games. And ultimately, that could have been a drive that tipped the scale, being that they only lost by one point. Matt Nagy, it appeared, almost gave the game back by deciding to throw the ball with a minute left instead of running the ball, making it go to 30 seconds, no timeouts by the Bucks, And you all but in the game because we, after the kickoff happens, it's less than a half a minute. You've got to get into field goal range without timeouts. You're pretty much safe there, but Matt Nagy decided to throw it. It was incomplete and gave Tom Brady and the Bucks a minute. But all in all, the game was great. It was back and forth. The last four scores in the game all took a lead. So it was plus two or plus one the entire game. It felt like it was a lot of competitive back and forth. Nick Foles and Brady's numbers were incredibly similar, although they do it in different ways. Nick Foles looked like he has the arm of a 45-year-old man. I mean, it's a lot of float passes. It's a lot of, not a lot of oomph on his football. But Brady was throwing strikes. We had a Rob Gronkowski sighting. We had Mike Evans playing well. And Brady was shorthanded. Obviously, being down Chris Godwin, being down Leonard Fournette, who was active but never came on the field except for the QB knee at the end of the first half. Leonard Fournette never seen the field. And so, basically, you were down two of your best five weapons. Obviously, they're still without O.J. Howard. It was a short week on the road. So, the Tampa Bay Bucks looked... A little rusty. This is their worst offensive game since they played New Orleans in week one in New Orleans. I'm sure that'd be something they would look at. Now, as for the Bears' perspective, you kind of got some help here. Obviously, you got a lot of penalties from the Bucks, which, hey, you take penalties as they come. The refs can sometimes swing the game one way or the other, calling penalties or not calling penalties. And the Bucks got a lot of penalties tonight. And I think that. It swung the game towards the Bears and allowed them to stay in it. Cordell Patterson's an absolute weapon. and He didn't take any back, but to go from nine yards deep to the 31, I mean, he's basically flipping the field in essence because he is gaining six, seven yards of possession. So instead of starting on the 25, most people, you start on 25, you kick it nine yards deep. Cordell Patterson's coming out. Now you're starting on the 31. That's six yards. That's huge. That's six to eight yards. I mean, he got close to the 40 one time. So, I mean, that is a major addition to a team and a major help to a team in Cordell Patterson. They use him at running back and stuff like that as well. Khalil Mack was an absolute man tonight. I mean, three sacks and a flip. And by flip, I mean, he literally flipped Tristan Wurst. Like with one arm, hip flipped him MMA style and put Tristan Wurst flat on his butt. It was incredibly impressive that he did that with one arm to a 320-some-odd pound man, especially when the man was already holding the arm. So he just flipped them. I mean, it was absolutely amazing to watch. It was definitely a shock moment in the game and really asserted Khalil Mack's dominance, kind of proving that, hey, I'm back. 
because his numbers were down. He only had one and a half sacks coming into the game. He doubled that just in this game alone. So it was good to see Khalil Mack back as well. But all in all, it was a good game. Ended weird. Ended weird. I've never seen this in my life. Tom Brady lost track of the game. J.R. Smith memorial moment. He throws a pass on fourth down and a strike. But then he immediately holds up the number four. And it's like, wait a minute. Did you think it's fourth down? He thought it was third down when he threw the ball which would immediately explain the decision usually brady on fourth down if it's nothing wide open he starts dancing trying to give guys time to free up he's looking at the rush because he wants to see how he can slip forward to give somebody an extra half a second to break away and he just fired a ball at the scene which is something you would do if you think it's third down because hey i can just throw this ball away if it happens it happens i've got to go quick because we were in a hurry up so I've got to go quick, fire it. Okay, cool. Let's go to fourth down and then let's try something else. Well, it was fourth down. And so Tom Brady losing track of the score, I'm sure is going to be all over SportsCenter. First things first, undisputed. Kyle Hurd will mention it. First take will all be talking about that moment because it's something you've never seen Tom Brady do. I mean, when he first came into New England, he was the ultimate game manager. Then he became the ultimate situation, the quarterback. He always seems to know how many yards he needs, how much time he has, how many timeouts he has, what down it is. It was incredibly weird to see Tom Brady holding up a four and generally not walking off the field and telling the ref, I thought this is fourth down. I thought we had another down. I thought we had another down. He's pleading, basically pleading his case like, wait, we're, that was fourth down? And so the ref finally goes to him like, yeah, that was fourth down. Like, turnover on downs. The game's over, basically. Because all the Bears had to do was come out knee. So, it was a crazy game. 20-19 to 19 Bears. It was a hell of a way to wrap up Thursday night football. And hell of a way to start the week. But that is all that I have for this show today. It was a fun, packed one. It was a very fun one. I said a packed one today generally might be wearing down on content a little bit with the WNBA already ending the NBA finals presumably ending Friday night so we'll be probably mainly football and baseball show for a while and some NBA storylines with their adjusted offseason and partially truncated offseason but we'll definitely be all over NBA draft and stuff like that but you again you can find us on Spotify and Apple and you can find the Twitter at JTime Sports for breaking news and updates about the show and about all the sports wars in general. I'm constantly on that thing, updating, tweeting. When I found out something, I immediately tweet it out. So that is something that you guys should definitely look into if you want to know any and everything about sports going down. MLB, NBA, NFL, college football. I'm all over it. So you guys definitely take a look at that. And that'll be all I have for you today. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.